what if there was no such thing as good or bad? What if there was no such thing as right or wrong? What if there was only creation, maintenance, and destruction? Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Now, before we get started, I want you to know my new book is out. It's called The Buddha and the Badass. Firstly, thank you to all of you who supported my first book, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind, and made it become the number one book in the world on Amazon Kindle. And I cannot wait to get The Buddha and the Badass onto your hands. Now, a lot of people are telling me they love the title, and it's kind of mysterious. What is this book about? Well, here's how I put it, and I'm grabbing it off my shelf right now. I have one of the early copies. I'm so excited. So The Buddha is the spiritual master. The badass is the change maker. You have both inside you. Once you awaken both these archetypes, this transforms the way you work, the way you show up in the world, the way you build your empire. So many of us, we either go deep into spirituality or we go deep into work. What if both of these can be unified? What if the great spiritual masters, if they were alive today, were the ones building companies that could change the world, were the ones who were crushing it at their jobs? And what I put forth in this book is the idea that your spirituality can be brought to work. And when you learn to use these elements of your soul, of your mind, of your spirit, of your consciousness, of tapping into altered states of intuition, you can magnify what you do at work. Now, I was a VP in Silicon Valley many years ago, and I was failing at my job until I went deep into meditation. I was surprised at how I was then able to get promoted in a span of four months, I got promoted three times. And what also happened is that I got so good at my job, I was able to hold down two positions. I was VP of sales and VP of business development for a company with 100 employees because I was that productive. My secret was not optimizing email or learning how to get more things done. It was being able to tap into altered states for flow, for creativity, being able to tap into my mind to visualize outcomes I wanted, being able to connect with people at a deep level. Those strategies I went really deep in over the last 20 years, and I share them in the book, The Buddha and the Badass. The book is nine chapters. You do not have to read it in order. You can read it in any order you want. So pick the chapter that resonates with you. Perhaps it's uncovering your soul print, or it's attracting your allies, or it's activating your inner visionary, or it's building a unified brain, or it's how to bend reality. Now, I know you're going to love this book. You can find out more at mindvalley.com forward slash Buddha Badass. And if you go to that page, forward slash Buddha Badass, there are some incredible offerings if you pre-order the book. And what I mean by incredible is this. For people who order five copies of the book all this week, and it's only for this week, you're going to get Mindvalley's most advanced and expensive program of the year completely free. The program is called Be Extraordinary at Work. It's a $4.99 program, and it's a six-week coaching program designed to accelerate your performance at work, make you a super performer, and get a raise. Or, if you're an entrepreneur, to double your business. That program is free. So check it out. And now, back to the podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Mind Valley Podcast. I'm so excited to have you guys back with us this week. With us today is a remarkable teacher here in Mind Valley that I think could add some beautiful philosophical understanding 
of the nature of life and what we're going through right now. She's none other than Emily Fletcher of Ziva Meditation. Emily is one of the leading meditation experts in the world. She is the official meditation instructor on the Mind Valley platform. Her program, The M Word, is a 30-day meditation program on Mind Valley. And Emily has been teaching meditation everywhere, from Harvard University to Google. Her recent book, Stress Less, Accomplish More, debuted at number seven out of all books on Amazon. She's been on Good Morning America, Today Show, Vogue, ABC News. Emily has officially, at this point, trained 25,000 people on meditation. She has now spoken at Apple, at Google, at Barclays Bank, and her graduates include Oscar, Grammy, Tony, and Emmy Award winners, which is interesting because Emily Fletcher is a former Broadway actress. And when you hear her story of how she went from Broadway to meditation, it's fascinating. But random fact about Emily, in her final performance on Broadway, before she gave up being an actress, Emily performed on stage with, and Emily, I'm going to bring you on right now because I want you to start with this story because it's so freaking cool. Okay. (laughs) Tell us that story before we go into the podcast. Yeah, so you're right. It was the very last thing I ever did as an actress. And I was already in my meditation teacher training, but I got a call and they said, they said, hey, we want you to perform. Sadly, someone has passed away. We want you to perform at Marvin Hamlish's memorial concert. And I just thought it'd be a few hundred folks in a church, you know, honoring this Broadway legend. It's at Juilliard. Mike Nichols is directing. I go on stage and he's on the microphone. He says, Emily, can you just bring the microphone with you? Because we're not sure what Liza's going to do. And I was like, Liza Minnelli? And he said, yes. And then I go up in my dressing room after the rehearsal and I hear this voice and I said, who is that? And they said, oh, that's Aretha's stand-in. She doesn't do mic checks. And I said, Aretha Franklin? And they said, yes. So I was sandwiched in between Liza Minnelli and Aretha Franklin. And then Barbara Streisand was the final performance. (laughs) And that was it. I was like, mic drop, I'm out. (laughs) So, So your final performance on Broadway was with Barbara Streisand, Aretha Franklin, and Liza Minnelli. How freaking cool is that? And then you gaffed <laughs> that up to start the Ziva Meditation School in New York. That's correct. I found Amazing. this tool that changed my life so dramatically. And I just thought, why does everyone not do this? And I feel so grateful now that I get to use that performance background, but now to help people through intense situations such as this one that we're in right now. And one of the beautiful things about your life story is you spent time in India. You did not mm-hmm. just go and get a meditation certificate on the internet. You actually went <laughs> and did it old school. You traveled to India, you joined an ashram, you did the whole eat, pray, love thing, in a way, in India. Actually, Julia Roberts was in India shooting Eat, Pray, Love when I was there. And so people oftentimes would mistake me for her because, you know, big toothy grin, tall white lady. (laughs) And (laughs) so finally, I just started signing autographs. And I was like, you know what? This is a win-win. I feel like a celebrity. People think they met Julia Roberts. I mean, it was like droves of Indian teens. And I was like, let's just go with this. (laughs) So I'm sorry, Julia Roberts, that I lied. (laughs) This is why I love having Emily in the podcast. And this is why Emily is our official meditation teacher, because she cracks me up. But Emily, I thought it was good to start with some humor. But I know a lot of people are going through some tough times. I know where you are in New York right now. It's not easy. How are things out there in New York City? Yeah, so I feel like right now New York is the hotspot for this pandemic and sort of the first city that's been really intensely impacted in the U.S., To be honest, it's a little eerie because normally New York is so densely populated and people are everywhere and cars are everywhere. And now to go outside and it to be empty feels a little surreal. But 
for me personally, I'm incredibly grateful because my life, my day-to-day has not changed that dramatically. And so I'm just using this as a time to be of service as much as I can, because I know so many people have had their whole worlds and industries and families turned upside down. And that hasn't been the case for me. So I'm just using this as a time to be generous. However, I do know that our hospitals are they're overflowing and you know there's a lot of conspiracy theories going around and people saying this is all a hoax and people taking video cameras into hospital waiting rooms and they're like they're empty and and what's happening is that people aren't going to the hospital for things that they might have gone to the hospital for a month ago a sprained ankle you know something that would you know a month ago weren't going to the hospital a lot of people are choosing to stay home so while the waiting rooms might be empty that does not mean that we don't have the situation at hand where we're trying to figure out who we put on ventilators and who we don't and at that point we are very capacitated but i will say that if you just go to like the parks or if you are feeling the energy of the city people feel very kind and very resilient people are they're smiling through their eyes and and being extra friendly to each other, even from six feet apart. And I feel really proud to be a New Yorker right now. I know. And I started Mind Valley in New York. So I have a close passion and affinity for New York. I've been in New York during some crazy times in the city, such as the great blackout. I think it was 2003. And it's always surprised me how kind hearted New Yorkers are. In fact, there was a Reader's Digest poll. I think it was 2005 or 2006 or seven that showed that New York was the friendliest city in the world. You know, I was here on September 11th as well. I had moved to New York three weeks before September 11th. You know, bright-eyed actress, I'm going to be a star on Broadway. And then three weeks later, September 11th happened. And I actually felt very grateful to be here then as well, because in the weeks that followed that, the level of resilience and kindness and coming together and pride that happened in this city felt really inspiring. And, you know, I've heard people say, I'm not interested in another September 11th, but I am interested in another September 12th, you know, where humans just really stepped up and adapted and came together to heal and innovate. And that's one of the reasons why I was so excited to record with you today, because I feel like we're in a similar situation right now where we are being asked to adapt as a species. Let's get on with the topic. The reason I wanted to have you on this podcast is because so many people are having justifiably fears, anxiety. It's, it's not just a disruption of our way of regular life. We can't go to our office. Our kids are out of school. But there's also that disease lurking out there that's killed around you know, 12,000 people in the United States alone, 85,000 people globally. And there's that big looming recession. And so it seems that we're being hit with so much as a species all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I know we'll get out of this, but it's gonna to be tough for a while. Now you've studied the Vedas. You've spent a great deal of time teaching meditation. You've studied with meditation masters. I'd love for you to bring some insight, wisdom, and your light to the, the questions that people might have. Mm-hmm. And so I'd love to get started and hear your thoughts on from a greater spiritual perspective or from what you've studied in the Vedas, how do you see what's happening right now? Mm -hmm. What I'm about to share, I in no way mean to minimize anyone's fear, anxiety, suffering, or the amount of intensity that this experience is bringing. You know, we'll talk about how we can use the fear, use the pain as our teacher as well. But 
what has really been helping me and what's giving me a lot of perspective is to pull the lens way, way, way back and to remind ourselves of this concept that comes from the Vedas. And it is the idea that what if there was no such thing as good or bad? What if there was no such thing as right or wrong? And even if this is fundamentally opposed to your belief system, fine. What if we just try it on as a thought experiment? What if there was no such thing as good or bad? What if there was only creation, maintenance, and destruction? So it's a pretty weird idea because a lot of us have been trained like right, wrong, evil, good, you know, light, dark. And according to the Vedas, there's no such thing as good or bad. There's no such thing as right or wrong. There is only creation maintenance and destruction. And these three things flow in a cycle. And what happens is that we lead with creation, then we get nature's support. You start a company, you write a song, you get pregnant, people throw you a baby shower. You know, you, anytime you're creating, innovating, we start to get nature's support, which looks like ease, elegance, flow. And then right behind creation is maintenance. And then right behind maintenance is destruction. And if we're leading with creation, then everything flows pretty elegantly. But what happens is that we humans, we create, we like the results of our creation, and then we immediately try to maintain. We immediately try to stay safe. We try to hold on. Like I get on match.com, I get in a relationship, and I'm like, oh, I like you. You're cute. I like the way you make me feel. Okay, so you just stay the same and I'll just stay the same and we'll never change and we'll just stay together forever and ever and ever. And then the person breaks up with us, right? So if we're leading with maintenance, then what happens is creation goes to the back burner and destruction is now nipping at our heels. Destruction is coming through to clean house. Destruction is coming through to make way for creativity. So the whole thing is a cycle. But what's happening is that we've seen in many industries, we've not been acting in sustainable ways as far as our environment goes, as far as our diet goes, economically. These bigger global systems have been maintaining for a long time. And so it seems like destruction is coming through to clean house. And while no one wants to be in destruction, okay, and again, I'm not minimizing the level of suffering that is real for many, many billions of people on the planet right now. But what has brought me comfort is that instead of seeing this time of destruction as inherently bad, right, as something to avoid, as something to damn, as something to condemn, Instead, if we see, okay, destruction is cleaning house, it's getting way of the old irrelevant systems and what's right behind destruction, creation, right? If you see it as the underbrush in the forest being burned away so that the new growth can come through, then it helps us as humans, not only to cope, but to start to ask better questions. Because as you well know, the quality of our life is determined by the quality of our questions. And if we're asking right now, why me? Why now? This isn't fair. Whose fault is this? Who can I blame? That's going to give us a very different experience than how can I innovate? What creation is coming through? What industry would I love to see on the other side of this? How could I make my industry more sustainable, more kind, more compassionate? And so it becomes then a really spiritual practice, a really creative practice to start to envision this new world because there's no going back. We're not going back to how things used to be. You know, nature does not, it's only evolving, right? It's only moving forward. And so this idea of let's go back to normal, that wasn't working. It wasn't sustainable. And so we have an opportunity here to wake up as creators, to wake up as innovators and to start to ask more powerful questions. I love that. Creation, maintenance, destruction. 
other than what's happening in the world right now, what are some other examples in our life where you see this pattern unfolding? Yep. So a simple one would be you start a new workout program, right? You're like, oh, I'm going to do wild fit on Mind Valley and I love it and I'm eating great and I'm working out and I'm loving it and I finish the quest and I'm like, all right, I met my goal. Now I'm just going to maintain. And if you're just maintaining and you're not innovating, you're not leading with creation, next thing you know, you're weaker than when you started. The habits have started slipping back. You have a rich aunt. She passes away. She leaves you $10,000. And you're like, okay, I'm just going to save it. And I'm just going to hold on. And then it's bank fees and inflation and a recession and it's gone. (laughs) Versus if you were investing that, if you were starting a company, if you were creating with those same funds, then it grows. It's like energy wants to flow. Money wants to flow. And look, Creation, while you will get nature's support when you innovate, and if you want proof of that, look at the stock market. Even though it's taking a nosedive right now, the companies who we're throwing our money at, Amazon, Google, Facebook, you know, the people who are innovating the fastest, these are the people that we're giving our support in the form of money. These are the people whose stocks do the best. If you were to choose a doctor, you know, who do I want to do open heart surgery on me? And one doctor is like reading all the new studies, has all the latest equipment, has read all the new journals. And then another doctor has been doing the same thing since the seventies. He's been maintaining, maintaining, like, who do you want operating on you? You want the person who's leading with creation. And so it's just an opportunity for us to ask different questions instead of, oh, this thing is good and this thing is bad. Why did this bad thing happen to me? Instead, we start to ask, where am I personally leading with creation? Where am I leading with maintenance? And where has destruction come through to clean house? Because if we're leading with maintenance, if we're stagnating, we're basically waving the flag of irrelevancy for destruction to come through and clean house. You know, stagnant water breeds disease. Stagnant energy in the body breeds disease. Things want to move. And as you well know, energy is either creating or it's destroying. Right. And so if you're not expanding, you are by default contracting. Mm-hmm. So... I get the creation, I get the maintenance. What is the destruction then? What is that force of destruction? Where is it coming from? According to the Vedas, it's all nature. The most beautiful fundamental concept from the Vedas is that there's only one thing and we are all it. And that one thing is energy, or you could say that one thing is consciousness. Beautiful. So if you think about it, so if you're going to take that one unifying thing as energy and then say, okay, well, there's three different elements to it. There's an element that creates, there's an element that maintains, and an element that destroys. It's all nature. And look, that's happening inside of our bodies right now. We have new skin cells that are being birthed right now. We have old skin cells that are dying and going away and flaking off. You know, we might go to the bathroom later and have a poo. That's destruction. You know, you might clip your toenails. <laughs> that's destruction. Right now, my hair is growing. That's creation. Right now, we're learning new concepts. We're teaching each other. So, you know, we have new neural pathways going. And we have old parts of our brain that we haven't used in a while that are atrophying. And so those neurons, those neural connections start to dissipate over time. And and Mm -hmm. so what the Vedas are saying is that there is no wrong in the world. There's only creation, maintenance, and destruction. Yeah, that it's not inherently good. It's not inherently bad. It's just one of these three elements. And there's a Shakespeare quote as well that says, nothing is either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And I'm like anticipating the comments that might be coming up of like, but my child is sick. How is that not bad? You know, this company is profiting off of people who are vulnerable. How is that not bad? And look, again, I am not trying to invalidate anyone's suffering or the realness of anyone's experience. To me, it's just a more empowering 
lens through which to see things. And look, destruction exists for a reason. There are sometimes industries that do need to be destroyed. Behavior sometimes needs to be corrected. And oftentimes that will happen through destruction. So if you think about even the idea of karma, you know, a lot of us think, well, karma is like a cosmic bank account. And if I do good deeds and I'll get rewarded with good things. But my understanding of karma and dharma is that like dharma is your path. It's your life path. And when you're on your dharma, when you're on your mission, when you're innovating, when you're creating, then it's like you have this smooth paved six lane highway and you are just flowing towards your goals and your dreams. And when we start to veer off of our path and we start to lead with maintenance, we start to become a bit irrelevant. The karma is simply the bumps on the side of the road. And it's not there to punish you. It's not there to be mean to you. It's just to wake you up. It's a course correction. It's like, hey, you're getting off your mission. Let's go back into the smoothly paved dharmic lane. It's just a course correction, right? So it's like right now we're having a massive course correction. And the thing is, we knew this. We knew it a year ago that so many of these industries, so many of the things that we're engaging in are not sustainable. And I'm seeing this, and this is not a fun or optimistic viewpoint, but I'm seeing this massive global adaptation as almost a dress rehearsal for the inevitable changes we're gonna have to make as humans leading with climate change. While this is intense and painful for a lot of folks, I don't think this is anywhere near as intense as things might be once we start to really feel the ramifications of climate change. And so if we use this alarm clock, because look, I don't like it when my alarm clock goes off. It hurts. It's painful. It's like, oh, I would much rather stay asleep. But alarm bells are ringing right now. And we have an opportunity to wake up and to change our actions personally, globally. And, and if we do, I think we can possibly get back on the creation path, get back on the smoothly paved lanes of compassion, sustainability, generosity, you know, that we all idealize intellectually. But then when it comes to us, like, well, I'm afraid, so I'm going to hoard and I'm going to just take care of me. Because when we're in fight or flight, when we're stressed as a species, we can't help but want to fight other people. And I think we've been too stressed as a species for too long. Wow. I love that. And what resonates with me is the idea of karma being the bumper rails. I remember when I was first starting my entrepreneurial endeavor, I dabbled in a lot of different things. But one of the patterns I noticed is that every time I did something that involved education technology or personal growth, it would thrive. Every time I went off that, it would mm -hmm. fail and it would be painful. These would be painful failures. And eventually I came to understand one thing. I wasn't going into ed tech because... This was like 2003 to 2012. EdTech wasn't cool. There was no money in EdTech. EdTech was hard. Companies like LinkedIn and Udemy and Masterclass and Coursera and Udacity did not exist. And so it was tough. And I was trying to find something that might actually be a viable business. But the universe kept causing everything else to crumble for me to lose money. That every time I did EdTech, I would have the most resounding luck. And today I've learned my lesson. I only do as an entrepreneur, I only focus on education technology. Everything has to be about learning, growth, and education. And everything I do ends up being really successful. And I realized that what I thought were failures was simply the bumper rails, the karma, keeping me on my dharma. So that was a beautiful way that you've explained it. Thank you for that. 
My pleasure. And, and something that I just want to highlight here is that I am sure that even in the beginning, even when you were doing the ed tech things and, and it was eventually panning out, it didn't necessarily mean that it was easy because when you're learning the lesson, it's like, well, I don't know which is going to be successful. And they all require a level of energy and bravery to create. And so the thing I want to highlight is that it does take a level of mastery to trust and listen and be tuned in and tapped into your own intuition enough to see, well, this is how nature's using me as a vessel, even though it's uncomfortable, even though it's scary. Because look, while when we lead with creation, we're going to get more of nature's support, the path is going to be smoother. That doesn't mean that creation is easy. Having a kid, hard work. Starting a company, hard work. Writing a book, hard work. So there are labor pains that go along with creation, but sometimes because we're afraid of that pain, that birthing pain of creation, because we're trying to avoid that pain, sometimes that keeps us stuck in maintenance. We get enamored with the illusion of control. We convince ourselves that that maintenance is safety when actually the ever repeating known is the most dangerous place there is. What does that mean? The ever repeating known is the most dangerous place there is because it means if you're repeating what you know, repeating what you know, repeating what you know, staying stuck, stagnating, maintaining, you're basically again waving that flag of irrelevancy for destruction to come through and clean house, to make way for the innovation. So even though it feels sometimes more comfortable, it feels more safe to stay in maintenance. Well, I've got enough. My relationship is fine. My physical health is fine. I have enough knowledge. My kids are fine. The environment is fine. Status quo. Mm -hmm. Then it's eventually going to become irrelevant. And then a course correction has to come. And look, I'm not even suggesting that this virus is the destruction force. I'm saying that the reaction to the virus, the economic changes that we're seeing, us being inside and quarantining, this is the course correction. The virus to me just seems like the instigating force. I love it. Now, what are some of the things that you think are going to emerge from the post-COVID-19 world? Obviously, certain systems and structures and ways of life are going to be destroyed. But what is that next wave of creation that you perceive as potentially emerging? I'll tell you what I hope happens. I'll tell you in my, my dream case scenario. I'm by no means a futurist or a predictor of global trends, but I'll tell you what I'm dreaming of. And that is that we as a species fall in love with spending time with our families again. <laughs> you know, if you have the fortune of being quarantined with people that you love, including your kids, while that might be challenging at times, like how many home-cooked meals have we had with our children right. over the past few weeks? What a blessing. What a gift. You know, one of my guilty pleasures, one of my guilty habits was that I would order takeout a lot. And then there's plastic, there's terrible oils and fats. That food is not sustainable. And I used to do it a lot and I would feel guilty about it. And now I'm not doing that. I'm cooking for my son. I'm cooking for my husband. I'm cooking for myself. So I'm making healthier food. People are looking at what they have, working with what they have, looking in a pantry and saying, how can I be creative with tonight's meal versus let me just call for an order for pizza or you know, go to the store and buy more of what I don't need. We're, we're rationing, but not, to me, rationing, there's a way to do it out of fear and like, oh my gosh, I don't have enough. Let me just like survive on meager scraps. Or there's a way to do it that is innovative and creative. I'm going to pretend I'm a chef and be like, I'm on top chef. And my challenge is you have these five ingredients, make it work, people. 
<laughs> there's a level of creativity even happening with our food. I think that education is being disrupted in a very real way, which I think companies like Mind Valley, who you've been innovating and investing in online education now for over a decade. And so people who've already been doing this work, I think are going to be rewarded. I think that people are waking up to the fact that self-care is non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable. You're being forced to sit with yourself. You're being forced to sit with your feelings, to sit with your thoughts. And there's only so much wine you can drink. There's only so many Netflix episodes out there. <laughs> you know, eventually you're going to have to feel your feelings. And I think what a lot of people are learning is that they don't know how to sit with themselves. And I can just speak for what I'm seeing at Ziva, but we've had more people enroll in our course in the last three weeks than we ever have before. I um, mean, we're offering full scholarships to nurses and doctors and EMTs on the front line. We've given over a half a million dollars worth of scholarships to people on the front line just in the last three weeks alone, which I'm really proud of. But we've also given a 50% price reduction and then people are like, they are ready. And I think that they're learning that they don't know how to sit with themselves. And there's a quote who is, I think it's Rilke, and it says that all of the world's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly with himself. Right. That's beautiful. And by the way, that's amazing what you're doing. So for people who are listening, who are working in healthcare, how would they come to Ziva? How would they find you guys? Yeah. So you just go to zivameditation.com slash online. So it's Z-I-V-A. And it was kind of a weird word. Thankfully, not Zika. That was our last pandemic that people were concerned about. But it's just zivameditation.com slash online. And you can apply for the scholarship there and you can see the price reduction for everyone else. That's amazing. Thank Thanks. you, Emily. Mm -hmm. So that was Emily Fletcher. And thank you so much for joining us on the Mind Valley podcast. And if you're interested in learning more about Emily, definitely check out zivameditation.com. But also go to Amazon and check out Emily's book, stress less, accomplish more. Thanks everyone for listening. And if you'd like to leave us a review, go ahead, leave us a review, mention Emily Fletcher so we can compile those and send it to Emily. And Emily, thank you for joining us on the show. What a joy. Thank you for having me. And this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.